kid. I like dropping bombs, but my dad, he doesn't like dropping bucks. So, I've been beating pitchers with discounts bats from closeatbats.com. Just tell Max and Roy that the Playball Kids sent you, and they'll take as good a care of you as they have me since I was in Little League. You ready? I'm ready, sir. Let's play ball. So can yeah. you uh, just give me a little bit of your uh, baseball background? Sure. So I did the whole Little League thing, junior high, high school, played, uh, was lucky enough to get a scholarship to go play at Fresno State for four years. And after, at the end of that four years, I wasn't t- looked at as too much of a an asset to go on and play more. I had gotten hit. <clears throat> First time I'd ever broken a bone, really. It chipped it, didn't break it, but chipped it. It was a Brad Ardsma fastball. Brad Ardsma ended up playing in the in the big leagues for some stretch. And uh, it was, I think it was 94. They had the, the thing up on the on the radar gun. And uh, I came, it came up kind of high and tight and hit my right one. I'm a righty, so it hit my, that little bone that sticks out on, on your wrist on the outside part. Ended up chipping it. And I went out in the outfield and every time I threw the ball, I felt like my arm was on fire or my hand and lower arm was on fire. So I had to get put in a cast. It was chipped, obviously, and had a cast for six, six weeks. And that was kind of just the nail in the coffin. I was pretty burnt out anyway. I probably didn't want to. I mean, if I would have got a good offer, obviously, I would have probably taken it. But it wouldn't have lasted too long, I don't think, because I was pretty burnt out <clears throat> at that point. So pretty burnt out of baseball, everything baseball, playing it watching it, whatever. And then shortly after that, I think it was a semester after that, my wife and I were dating at the time, ended up going to a place. I wanted to go study in a place for a semester where there was zero baseball. So we went, ended up going to Italy. We were kind of stationed in Turin, Italy. It's a foot of the Alps. And we were there for about, what, January to mid-May, so about four and a half months. And then when I came back, I was ready to go again. And that kind of started the whole teaching teaching the swing, ball rolling. I started off in an academy and was making 15 bucks an hour while they were making the 45 bucks. I was doing all the work and it took maybe one year for me to learn that lesson. And I started passing my card out to everybody and then started out on my own. So that was kind of the the start of where, I, where, I, where I'm at now. So can we kind of talk about your uh, speaker kit here? So on your front page of your speaker kit, it says it um, in quotes, swing smarter by moving better. What does that mean to you? Yeah. So that's a good one. So I have about, well, more now, but I think on my side, I put 13 plus years. So it's about 15 to 16 years. I think I started corrective exercise in 2000. It was right about when I started teaching the swing, 2005, 2000, 2005, I think it was. <clears throat> so I got into, got some certifications in yoga to teach yoga. I got some other ones in functional muscle screen, the FMS, and a couple other ones that were supported by the National Academy of Sports Medicine, corrective exercise, corrective exercise specialist, I think it was what it was, and then a couple handful of lesser name ones, but got me on the got me on the the role of really looking at when I was training normal people, just not not so much the hitters per se, but just regular people come in with the knee issue or hip or shoulder that I could help troubleshoot and either make that better, minimize the pain or whatnot, help them to move better more often. And then got into, hey, this stuff could actually help the swing and help my hitters to download certain movements of the swing better. So swinging smarter by moving better just means that we're addressing issues, could be hip mobility, 
you young hitters are, there are studies that are out that say 80% of your day is spent sitting, sitting down. And it's not for every, it's not everybody, but a majority it's that way. So there's certain muscles that tend to get tight from that. And there's certain muscles that tend to turn off from that. So it's having to turn on the ones that are off and turn off the ones that are on or increase the range of motion in them. So that's kind of the concept behind swinging smarter by moving better. So you also say in your speaker kit that you were a member of the ABCA and last uh, week I had uh, sheets on my podcast. So what has been like the greatest parts of being a member of ABCA for you? Well, it's pretty cool because I've gone to a couple of the conferences, went to this last one where I met you and your dad uh, in person for the first time in Dallas. And then I went to the Anaheim one a couple years ago and, and really got to meet. My big thing is the networking. I don't really have, I didn't really have a lot of products to sell. I was kind of there to support the backspin tee guys. And this last year heavily with Perry husband and uh, my buddy, Casey Carswell, Kansas city, and some other friends that, that I've kind of met along the way. So for me, it's, getting together a group of coaches like-minded that are have gro- growth mindset that are out there to genuinely help younger hitters like yourself to get better. And, it, and it's not trying to throw the ego, but put the ego aside and, and really dig into what it is that for me, young hitters are need to work on. And that could be physical, it could be mental, it could be, could be any of the things it could be movement, movement science stuff, but it, it's the networking is the big benefit of ABCA. So in your uh, best-selling book, The Catapult uh, Loading System, you talk about the spinal ed- engine and fascia. So explaining to a 14-year-old, what is the spinal engine exactly? Good question. So the, the fascia part of it is really interesting, and fascia is kind of a goofy goofy word, looks kind of weird, but it's said like F-A-S-H-A, fascia, uh, I-A, fascia. And fascia is like a cotton candy or spider webby like material that your bones and muscles float in. It gives muscles their shape and it is to the human body as steel is to the building industry. So if you were to take, if you were to see a good friend of yours walking across the street and you took everything, every piece of, of tissue, skin, muscle, organs, you took everything out of the body and just left the fascia, you could tell that that was your buddy by how they walked, by what their face looked like. You could pretty much tell that that was was your friend. So fascia is an interconnected, interwoven ligament tissue, this fascia, this cotton candy, spiderweb-like material that's interconnected all throughout your body. So how the spine engine fits into that is you have obviously kind of the main three main three substances in your body. You got, you got muscles, you got bones and you got fascia. And if you took the fascia away, if you did the opposite of our last thought experiment, if you took the fascia away, everything would fall to a heap on the ground. So it gives everything kind of some structure. There's, there are two forces that, that that fascia uses to help us move, help us resist gravity. And those are tension and compression forces. So a compression force, think about it like the stone granite. If you guys got granite countertops at home. So granite is actually a really strong stone, natural stone that resists a lot of compression forces. So you can place a lot of weight on, on a slab of granite and it's going to take a lot of weight for it to, to crack and break. The other force is tension. So tension is like a wrecking ball. 
So you have the wrecking ball itself, you have the cable that's attached to the wrecking ball, and then you have the cable that kind of interweaves throughout the structure of the, the boom crane. So the tensional force would be the force that the structure of the boom crane and the ball, the wrecking ball, have on the cable that's holding the, the ball. So that's tension. So it's being pulled kind of from two different directions. So if you look at if we take a look at granite again, and granite, even though it's one of the strongest stones for resisting compression forces, it's actually one of the weakest at resisting tension forces. So if, if we hooked up two, two thoroughbred horses on, on each side of the slab of, of granite, and we hooked them into that granite and we had them walk or run or whatever away from each other. So in opposite directions, that that slab of granite is going to tear apart based on tensional forces more so than it would if you put a ton of weight on top of it and tried to break it based on compression forces. So in our body, we have both of those. That fascia in combination with the bones and the muscles have this compression tension force always acting all the time, all the time. So gravitational forces, they're resisting that. Or if you're moving, then you're kind of getting this, this relationship between compression tension as you move. So the spinal engine per se, there's, there's three main movements of the spine. There are four actually, but two of them are, are together. The first two are extension flexion. So extension would be for you to kind of arch your back or go into, uh, if you can imagine a gym, gymnast on a bar that's swinging back and forth. And that gymnast, as the gymnast swings forward under that bar, they're gonna go into what's called a global arch. So their whole body arches. A local arch would be just arching at the lower back. So they go into a global arch where they swing through and you see this kind of cool little curve to their body from their spine. As they come back, as they start swinging back towards you with their back facing you, they're gonna go into a globally flexed position. So their body, takes this what they call a hollow or a kind of hollowed out spoon shape in their in their abdominal area you can kind of see that those are those two the the flexion and extension and this is according to doctors dr serge grakovetsky in his book the spinal engine those are kind of one thing flexion extension they're opposing each other but they're kind of one category he talks about of a spinal movement the other two the second one is a side bend so you just if you're sitting there or you're standing there, if you just took your left shoulder and you dropped it towards your left hip and you just bent on at the side, like you were doing a, maybe a side crunch, that would be a side bend. <clears throat> and, and if you think about in the ocean, you have whales that move, that use flexion extension for their locomotion. So they, they do their tail flexion extension and side bend or lateral flexion, what, what the, the fish in the sea that does that, most fish in the sea do that, but think of a shark, right? A shark side bends as it swims. The third part of the spinal engine is what they call axial rotation, just a fancy name for when we walk, we our right hand and our left leg come forward at the same time. And then in the transition, then your left arm and your right leg come forward at the same time. We don't walk with the same side coming forward at the same time. We don't walk with our right leg, right arm. So what happens is you get the shoulder that will move, that will rotate counter to where the hips are rotating. And you kind of have this gear shifting, this gentle gear shifting that happens when we walk. So you, you not only have the one, the actual rotation, but you have side bending and flexion extension that are happening when you walk. There's certain sequences to that and kind of hard to get into over, over audio. But those are what we use. We use basic locomotion principles that have been around since human humans have been walking on two legs. We use those same principles, movement principles 
for hitting. Looks a bit different because we're, we're standing sideways and we were rotating to get to a ball, but we use things such as axial rotation or showing the numbers when the hitter shows their numbers to the pitcher. That would be an example of axial rotation. The hips don't follow it. We don't load the hips, uh, turn the, say, if you had a belt buckle, turn your belt buckle towards the catcher. You keep the hips in a, say, a neutral position, and then you rotate and preload the torso by showing the pitcher your numbers. And the other kind of the big three. So that's one. The second one would be to kind of tilt your shoulders slightly down as if you were lowering your front shoulder to that ball coming in. And you already kind of have the extension built in. We go into more of a flexion with our lower back. So imagine your pelvis is a bowl of water. And if I go into a Donald Duck sticking my butt out, arching my lower back type position, then I'm spilling water on my toes. If I tilt it the other way, or what's known as a posterior pelvic tilt, and I'm spilling water now on my heels, so pink panther would be something, not all my hitters know pink panther. I don't know, Sammy, if you do, but uh, pink panther had that opposite as Donald Duck pelvic position. So the water spilling on his heels like a dog sticking their tail between their legs when they're scared. It's kind of that posterior pelvic tilt. We talk about taking the belt bu- belt buckle and the belly button and pinching them together, and that kind of gets the same motion. So my hitters, we tend to go into a kind of a flexed position at the start and hold that flexed or hollowed position, and then we move the other pieces, so the showing numbers and the down angle, um, and then kind of release that and let the let the swing happen as it as it does. But that kind of in a in a nutshell, I hopefully I did that okay. If you got questions, I would love it to clear anything up. But that's basically spinal engine and, and springy fascia. So that one where you're talking about uh, showing your numbers to the catcher, that's basically just separation. Yeah, showing numbers to the pitcher. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So final question here, what has been either the best coaching advice you've ever gotten or given in your life? I think the best coaching advice, I've I've gotten a lot of good coaching advice over the years. I've gotten a lot of good coaching advice as a player. I've gotten some good coaching advice over the years of, of coaching. I think the biggest one I would say was I I started off in 2013 or 2014. I started the hitting performance lab just before that I had, I had the truth about explosive rotational power as an online video course, kind of been my legacy course forever, but I didn't have hitting performance lab.com as a blog yet. But, uh, I started doing swing experiments after 2000 or in 2014 and the way that I thought that they should be done. So we would do a hundred swings. Say if we're talking about showing the numbers to the pitcher, we do a hundred swings showing numbers and we would do a hundred swings without showing numbers. And I, I did a few experiments like that, uh, not just for that, but other things. <clears throat> and I got an email from a gentleman who was a, is a scientist and a researcher. And he said he loved, he loved the swing experiments, but he said, you, what you might want to do is, is you might want to order those swings differently. So instead of doing 100 swings one way and 100 swings another way, which would actually, which people could come and say, well, you tired out for the first 100 or you weren't warmed up yet to order it in a different way. So the the main takeaway, the bottom line was I learned how to do swing experiments, but also to think in a way that was a little bit more not taking somebody's word, no matter how big their, their name was for, for what it was like taking it and saying, well, Ted Williams said this, so I'm going to just do this. I'm not going to stray from this advice. You know, a lot of people are hung up on Tony Gwynn, who was a great hitter who had some good advice too. very generalized, didn't really fill in the, in the, in the gaps. 
I think Ted Williams did a good job in his science of hitting, but I don't feel like he filled the gaps in. I still had more questions after reading his book 50 to 100 times over my lifetime than I had uh, answers to how the swing was supposed to be. So asking questions and testing stuff. And I think that's what a lot of people out there don't, they don't understand. They just kind of take other people's word for it or my word for it. And I, and I tell people often, I say, don't take my word for it, go out and test it. And if you test it, you do it the exact same way I did. And in a swing experiment and found out that my result, they, they got the opposite results as I did. It would raise an eyebrow on my side. I'd wonder how that happened, but at least they're out there testing it. So testing, testing, testing is kind of the big thing and the recurring advice that I've kind of gotten through different coaches that I think is, is really good advice for young, young hitters like yourself. So where can people uh, find you and uh, the other books that you've created? <clears throat> so people can find me at hittingperformancelab.com. And on there, I've tried to minimize and, and limit the choices there so that people can kind of find what they need to look at. There's a lot of posts. There's almost 300 free blog posts there. And they can use the search bar. That's probably the easiest thing if they just land there and, and they have no clue. I have a couple of links at the top that are, I think, one's courses, another one's build more power, another's hit more line drives. I think the other one is get get on time more often or something like that. So people can kind of click down on that to, to find out what they want. But it's a lot of information. But uh, again, it's all free. So a lot of people will accuse me of, well, you're just trying to sell stuff. Well, you know, I got 300 free blog posts that they can go over and they can have at it, you know. Um, but as for the books, they can be found on Amazon. If you just put in, you probably just put in Catapult Loading System, the other ones will show up or the Science of Sticky Coaching. The other one should show up as kind of recommended on there. Um, I do have a link I can I can share with you to a, a free book. Just pay eight ninety five shipping and handling offer that I have through my my regular website. Um, and that's just a good way. I also throw in a bonus. I throw in the essentials power hitting course, which is a, like a supplement, good, good, uh, compliment supplement to the, the book. Cause the book takes about two weeks, one and a half to two weeks to, to get to them on snail mail. So they get to kind of dig into the power hitter 2.0 engineering, the alpha online video course, mini course as they're waiting in those two weeks. So they got something to, to quench their appetite. Joey, thank you so much for playing ball. You got it. Hey, it's Sam here. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, I would like to ask for your help. Tell me what questions you would like answered. If you could also take a moment to review the show, the algorithms are taking into account how many ratings and reviews I get. The more reviews, the more people they restore the podcast with. Don't forget to play ball, kid. Play ball, kid!